Hey folks, Zach Osterman here, Indianapolis Star. He's Mike Nislick, Bloomington Herald Times. This is Mind Your Banners for Monday, January 15th, 2024. Uh, it's very cold. Very cold. Freezing. Yeah, it's 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 beyond freezing. Freezing was like 25 degrees ago. Um it's five, according to my watch, it's seven degrees in Bloomington now. I'll tell you what, it was negative one when I woke up. So we're just, you know. Uh, on mm. this on this particular curve, we're, we'll be having a tropical heat wave in like a week. Um, we're here broadly to talk about Purdue. Um, we'll get some. We'll, we'll start with some Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's Indiana's best game of the year. Probably Indiana's best start of the year. Um, they they opened that twenty twenty five to eight lead on Minnesota. They got both of Minnesota's sort of most important players in foul trouble, and Dawson Garcia and Elijah Hawkins. Um, Kind of had to, to grind the game out late more than you would have expected, but I think it's it's fair to say the most encouraging. Whether you want to see it as a response to Rutgers, as you know, evidence of maybe what this team can at least be at home, which is going to be important, obviously this week. Whatever you want to see it, I think it's at least encouraging for Indiana that they start so well, and then you know, frankly, they maintain that for probably most of 30 minutes the lead actually peaked at 60 to 39 12 and a half minutes left to go in the second half so you know that they sustained it for about 30 of of 40 game minutes on friday night yeah i mean they came out and you know mike woodson talked about their intensity uh khalil Ware did as well um and they've had that at home i, I mean i think that's kind of been uh the difference and and mike acknowledged that that this team sort of finds that extra gear at home. Uh, I think it, I, I wrote about this, you know, helped them push Kansas. Um, but the, the problem has been whenever they leave the the friendly confines of Assembly Hall, they just haven't been able to find that or sustain that. Um, still not, not perfect, but at least they play sort of with a edge or chip on their shoulder that sort of helps them kind of smooth, smooth over the rough edges. That game, you know, Malik Ware... I mean, Malik Renew had, was in foul trouble at the end of the first half, missed, I think, sat down for 8.30-ish, um, and they still be able to maintain the lead, um, and they haven't been able to do that at times this year. So I think, like you said, it's a, it's a positive win, but I think at the same time it highlights the sort of disparity. Um, you've seen two very distinct teams um, between um, the, the home and road games for IU all season, and at some point – Either that's going to stop and there'll be a tournament team or it'll continue and they will be on the outside looking in. Kind of talking, I guess, first about, um, I don't know, I guess you probably call it the positive for Indiana. You know, I, if that's sort of like the standard front court performance, and I would include McKenzie and Baco in the front court, I know they play him at the three. He's effectively, a, I mean, he, he's, he's much more of a, a big than he is a perimeter player, although give credit to uh, an old friend, Ryan Carraza, and said the all he pointed out in a, in a film piece he did this week or this weekend, rather that Indiana did put the ball in McKenzie and Baco's hands and ball screen actions a lot more, let him initiate more, let him kind of start the offense with the ball in his hands more against Minnesota than it has done in the recent past. But you look at those kind of three performances, obviously in Baco, 19 points, four rebounds, two assists, uh, hit a couple threes, I think it's always probably Mike Woodson probably always feels good when he sees McKenzie Mbaco getting six, seven, eight free throws because that probably tells a certain story about how aggressive he's being, how much he's sort of able to take his cover off the bounce and get get to the rim. And then between them, Ware and Renew, 33 points, 
um, what is it, 20 rebounds. You know, uh, Ware had a couple blocks. I think they had five assists between them, seven assists overall for that group. Like that, you know, we, we knew at the very front end of this season that that front court was going to have to kind of figure out the chemistry to be essentially that, uh, 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 you know, a group that, you know, I mean, even between them, you know, they hit four of seven threes, and that's on a night when the one the, the one of them that is on the season most accurate from three, Malik Renew, misses his only attempt. I just like that. That has got to be what that group is, home or away, most nights in terms of the productivity, in terms of feeling like they're kind of getting their points in different ways, in terms of at least one of them being a real factor on the glass. Friday night it was Khalil Ware. He had 14 rebounds, including 10 defensive rebounds. Um, you know that that group. I mean, I wrote that McKenzie and Baco is kind of the X factor for the rest of the season, but I think that in an even broader sort of sense that trio being consistent in that overall level of production and impact is, is important going forward. Well, I think we've seen Malik and Khalil be pretty consistent in that way all season. I, I think uh, Mackenzie Abaco has been sort of the, the one that's clearly been very up and down. And even, you know, Rutgers was a bit of a homecoming game for him and he really, really struggled in that one um, did not play very well. I think you've seen him be better at the start of games and that um, he's kind of been hitting three-point shots early and that sort of gives him some added confidence, a little extra bounce in his step. But I thought the last game uh, against Minnesota was the first time we've seen him really attack. You said, you know, they're running plays for him, but that he was confidently sort of attacking the rim and and sort of playing with confidence and, um, you know, kind of dynamic with the ball in his hands and he hasn't done that um at all this season um you know the one of the best moves he had was i think it was a spin move where he actually missed at the front of the rim but it still was something we hadn't seen from him and that offense that they, that's they haven't had that all season from anybody really and i think too you know mbako is um in big 10 play alone he's shooting 10, 10 of 22 from three if you subtract his first five games he was one of 13 from three which means he's 21 of 54 from three since then, which I think is 38. I was in my story. I don't have it right in front of me. I think it's about 38, 39%. So he's, he's becoming not just an effective three-point shooter, but also an effective three-point shooter at volume. Um, I think the number that Mike Woodson might like to see come up is in conference play alone. He's under 9% on defensive rebound rate. Woodson mentioned that today, that Mbako is, is one of the players that needs to kind of contribute to getting, getting opponents away from the offensive glass more consistently. Um, but Friday night just felt like a reminder, and you kind of talk about it there. There are things Mbako can do that nobody else on this team can, and and that's that's his size, that's his skill set. That is a little bit, in fairness, at times to where Indiana's playing and um, a factor of where Indiana's playing him, I should say. You know, Indiana needs more of this, and and as much more as it can get, kind of consistently from its freshman forward. Yeah, and does he have it? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it's been it, it's been quite the up and down season, and he, you know, he had the Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Um, I think it was two weeks ago. Hasn't sort of you know, had a lull after that. I, I just think that you know, Mike Woodson's talked about you know, freshmen is it's kind of a battle for them, and they've got to learn and and get through it. But I mean, at this point, we're you know past the wit- mid- midway mark, and I and I think that. Now is the time. If, if they're going to get it from him, they need it now. 
And so, I mean, this will be, a, you know, this is a home game, uh, Purdue on a big stage. Uh, you know, this this will be an important moment for him because I don't think they could win the game without him scoring, you know, 15 points and doing that offensively like he did the other night against Minnesota. Um, I, I don't want to say like the bad side of Minnesota. I, again, I thought Indiana played pretty well. I think, you know, you're still sort of having this conversation. We saw Xavier Johnson did not start in that game. He only played 17 minutes. It was interesting to me. Not only did Gabe Cup start, but he played almost twice as many minutes as Xavier Johnson. So it wasn't just that necessarily Mike Woodson said, hey, I'm benching you for the start of this game. I mean, he he stayed pretty, you know, despite the fact that Cup's four, re four defensive rebounds and an assist, you know, kind of the totality of his production, he didn't score a point. Despite that, Woodson very much treated Cups like the starter and Xavier Johnson like the bench player. Um, once again, I think it is probably fair to say that bench is getting pared down pretty dramatically already in Mike Woodson's mind. That can change here and there. I know you you asked the Peyton Sparks question today. I think that would, you know, Sparks would make a little more sense as a matchup in a Purdue game than maybe in some others. Um, but, you know, only three players off that bench played more than three minutes against Minnesota, and that was Caleb Banks. And I think all of those minutes may have been late in the first half when – Anthony Walker had to come out with a cut and Malik Renew was, was on the bench with two fouls. So, I mean, it, it very much feels like Woodson is, is refining his thinking here down to a smaller bench, a tighter bench, um, maybe a little bit less of kind of that rolling the starters out, you know, in, in a formulaic way and a little bit more of kind of targeting minutes here and there. And, you know, time will tell if it's the right plan long-term, it did seem to work Friday. Yeah, how did they defend Edie last year? I mean, I, I, that's why I asked just in terms of – Well, it's funny. Spark. Edie had two outstanding games against him last season, and I'll get the numbers up while we're talking. Um, they didn't go crazy with the doubles. Um, they, they did double him, and, and it's worth saying, and we'll talk about this in a minute, Purdue was was not nearly as good shooting threes last year as it was this year. But, I mean, up in, up in West Lafayette, Edie had 26 and 16. In Bloomington, he had 33 and 18. What, was, what really made those games – was more what Indiana did to Purdue because of Edie's limitations defensively. Um, so if you go back to those games from an Indiana perspective last season, in the game in Bloomington, Trace Jackson Davis doesn't have quite as many points, but he's got 25 points and seven rebounds. Um, Jalen Huchifino had 16. Obviously, Purdue plays a lot of drop coverage with Edie. They've done less of it this year. I think he's gotten more mobile. Um but they really kind of just like a lot of Trace Jackson Davis's points were coming on sort of end arounds and, and, you know, lob plays and things like that where Edie just couldn't get back into position. And then up at, at Purdue, um, up in West Lafayette, rather, Purdue just like totally flipped the whole defense to stop Jackson Davis. And I, I mean, he finished with, what was it? No, I'm looking, excuse me, I'm looking at the Assembly Hall game still. Um, he finished with, I think it was 10 points. I forget how many he had in the first half. It wasn't many, but he had eight points and seven assists. And all the Purdue played like basically heavy drop coverage. And Jalen Huchifino scored 35 points. And that was and, and just like completely took over the game. Um, he was 14 to 26 from the floor. Nobody could slow him down. And I think, you know, that was also a night where Purdue's three-point shooting, frankly. I mean, they were five of 23, and they probably got some open ones that Indiana was happy to give them because they just weren't statistically hitting them at that moment. Um, but I think a, a lot of it was much more designed around basically trying to take advantage of Edie's limitations defensively. And I don't know between Purdue's shooting and also the fact that I think some of those other Purdue bigs or even wings like a, like a Gillis or a Miles Colvin 
have given Purdue a little bit more dynamism defensively than uh, Camden Hyde rather um, have given Purdue uh, a little bit more dynamism defensively than, you know, maybe, maybe where they were, you know, a year ago. So. Yeah. Cause I just, you know, I'm interested to see how Khalil where matches up, um, you know, against some, some more physical, you know, more physical, uh, big body guy, um, you know, the last time they played one, you know, kind of shied away and, and kind of drifted, you know, when he's drifting away from sort of the lane, uh, I think Woodson gets frustrated and, um, you know, Peyton Sparks would be an obvious counter to that to try to give him a big body to sort of defend him. Uh, but we'll see kind of what they do. I mean, he mentioned foul trouble that that might be the determining factor and, you know, how his rotation looks because, um, you know, he's had to deal with that all season long between, uh, Malik and, 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 you know, more Malik than, than Khalil, but, you know, he's the, Malik is quick to obviously pick up fouls, but I'm um, just kind of interested to see how they defend uh, AD here. I guess let's pivot to Purdue then, um, unless you have any further business on Minnesota. Um, 15 and two, four and two in the big 10, I, I, you know, I guess amusingly, this is a, uh, what, where's, where's this is, this is basically <laughs> a battle for second place in the conference. Uh, on Tuesday night, because Indiana has started four and two, and it, it, it's just kind of funny the way that the narratives surrounding these two teams um, approaching this game differently. I think what's instructive about Purdue is, you know, if you look at their overall profile, they were obviously outstanding in November and December. They only lost once before New Year's. That was the the road game at Northwestern. Um, they don't they, they turn teams over fairly well, or excuse me, they, excuse me, they, they don't turn the ball over, but they also don't team, turn teams over fairly well. But everything else statistically in their profile looks good. They're really good rebounding the ball at both ends of the floor, as you'd expect. They get to the free throw line a lot. They limit opponents getting to the free throw line a lot. That'll be a big factor in this game. They're ninth nationally in three-point shooting percentage. They're 30th nationally in two-point shooting percentage. They got a nice distribution of, you know, they don't rely too heavily on threes, on twos, on free throws. They distribute their points really well. Um the one thing that is interesting to me is if you actually, and I'm looking at their Kimpom profile, if you filter over to Big Ten games alone, and obviously that's their last four games and it's it's six of the 17 games they've played, uh, they have not been quite the same team defensively in the Big Ten. They're allowing adjusted uh, 1.096 points per possession um, defensively across six Big Ten games. They're still shooting the three well. They're still shooting the two well. They're really getting burned on opponents shooting the three. They're 12th in the Big Ten opponents. They're hitting 40% of their threes against Purdue, which is, I think, noteworthy given the fact that Indiana actually is, at this moment in time, making a fair few of its threes at home, just still not taking a ton of them. Um, The turnover issues are more pronounced in Big Ten play. A lot of the strengths you'd expect are still there. They're still really good around the rim. They're still really good rebounding the ball. They're, They're the number one team in the conference in offensive rebounding rate which obviously is a concern for Indiana. And the one thing that kind of stands out, and this is definitely a small sample size, the two teams that have beaten Purdue have been able to score with them. Northwestern won 92 to 88 in overtime. Nebraska put up 80 points, 88 points rather, excuse me, in in the regular 40 um, in Lincoln. It just feels like a game where in, in the most sort of broad strokes way possible, Indiana is going to have to be able to make some shots because Purdue is going to get some second chances. I don't think there's any way around that. And because I think Purdue is just too efficient offensively for Indiana to hope it can win this game 63 to 59, something like that. And well, baking shots has been sort of <laughs> hard to come by. I mean, the, the, Mike talked about kind of Trey, Trey Galloway sort of being up and down. Um, you know, Xavier Johnson sort of been 
sort of a non-factor you know, in terms of anything from the perimeter. Um, really, when he's attacking the basket uh, is when he's gotten anything lately offensively since he's kind of come back from injury. Um, you know, they, most of the stuff times they're successful. You know, you're getting 40 points per in, in the paint. Um, but making shots has been sort of a, a wild ride. Like you said, they've shot the three a little bit better. Um, and they've been a little bit more willing to uh, take the three, I, I think, uh, since they've, in the last couple of games. But um, consistency has been this, I mean, sort of overall has been this team's sort of Achilles heel. Um, and you don't necessarily know what you're, and it's probably why it's hard for, frustrating for Mike Woodson, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get night in and night out. It does feel like a game. I mean, when you look at Purdue Smith, Lawyer, Coleman, Hyde. I mean, even some of their big guys, you know, that aren't going to take a bunch of threes. But if you leave them open, they they you know they might make one. It's hard to imagine Purdue not shooting the three well in this game. And I think that's something where, you know, quietly Indiana's shooting about thirty-seven and a half percent from three, um, uh, in Big Ten play alone. And again, I mean, it's like six games. We're not really talking. Super small sample size anymore. We talked about McKenzie and Baca's three-point shooting. Obviously, Kalel Ware, or not Kalel Ware, um, um, I guess Ware did hit two against Minnesota, but uh, Malik Renew has become more comfortable shooting the three. Quietly, like Trey Galloway actually is shooting about 36%, 36.5%, I think, since Kansas from behind the arc. Not on high volume, but like the three-point shot has kind of come back a little bit for him. Um, and, you know, if, I mean, if I asked you right now on an adjusted basis where you think Indiana ranks in the Big Ten defensively in, in adjusted efficiency, where do you think it is? Well, now that you say that, probably higher because you're uh, – you, you don't know. You don't know. They're first. They're first in the Big Ten in adjusted oh. efficiency. They're first in effective field goal percentage. And a big piece of it when you talk about the Purdue matchup is they are first in three-point defense. Teams are hitting 24.6% of their threes against them. Now, you know, again, some of that's who you've played and when you've played them. If you look at conference-only numbers, you know, Maryland, Minnesota, Rutgers, Michigan are, I mean, Indiana's ninth in the Big Ten, but they're shooting, they're hitting 37.5% of their threes. Michigan's 10th, hitting 32.3%. So that's basically the cutoff line of, like, teams that are shooting well from three versus aren't. The point is three, four of Indiana's, Six Big Ten opponents and three of their four Big Ten wins to this point have come against teams that don't shoot the three well statistically. But it is going to be an interesting kind of balance for Indiana of quietly they are shooting the ball a little bit better, particularly at home. Quietly, Purdue is not quite as good defensively maybe as it was in November and December when it was winning some of those games. And at least on paper, there are things that stack up for Indiana defensively against what Purdue wants to do. And because again, we've also seen Indiana, quite frankly, you know, build game plans that I don't want to say let Zach Eady have big games, but we're able to accommodate Zach Eady being Zach Eady because they sort of focused on taking away everything else. Yeah. And as I don't know how, you know, I mean, <laughs> Rutgers and Minnesota probably skewed some of those numbers. I mean, that was, those are some bad shooting teams. And I mean, well, but Minnesota, the, the thing was, Minnesota wasn't. Minnesota they, was. Like, they they took some. They no, took I get some that, but but like terrible but, shots. <laughs> well, that's fine, but then that's a that's a factor of what Indiana's giving them or what Indiana's for. Like Minnesota was not a good three. Or Minnesota, excuse me, let me rephrase. Minnesota statistically was a good three point shooting team across the course of the season. Like even right now, they're still shooting thirty five percent from three 
on the season, despite the fact that they were three of 20 against Indiana. Minnesota was actually a decent have, three-point shooting team. That You wouldn't have guessed that from the way they were shooting. Or oh, I agree. Were, <laughs> or their form shooting um, that, in that game. Um, and so, you know, I'm not trying to take away all the credit from Indiana's defense. I just thought they're, they, they did not look like a team that was playing well, you know, at that point, um, you know. Especially for a must-win game, as as you said, it was for for both teams. So uh, they did, did not, not play say that. They did not play that way. The other thing that I'm interested in with Purdue, and I, I mentioned it a little bit ago, but is the offensive rebounding. Like Purdue is just you you expect it because they play. Obviously, they have Zach Eady, who's you know pound for pound maybe the best rebounder in the country. He's certainly one of them. Um, you know, they'll play a fair bit of Trey Kaufman Wren next to him. They've mixed in a little bit more Caleb first at the four. They've typically used first more as kind of like a a five to to sort of spell Edie. Um, but they have started mixing him in a little bit more at, at the four and also just generally playing Edie a little bit less than last year, not like a ton, but um, but he's you know, he's he's not getting quite so many minutes, which is probably obviously better for his production. But even if you look, you know, Braden Smith has been a really good defensive rebounder. Trey Kaufman Wren has been a really good offensive rebounder, offensive rebounder, cursed and or uh, first cursed first and uh, Gillis have both been pretty solid on the offensive glass. And then, you know, Zach Eady is he's 16th in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. He's first in the big 10 in offensive rebounding percentage in league games alone. All this as always, according to Kim Palm. Indiana just, I mean, you're going to give up some offensive rebounds against Purdue. Like the, there's, there's an extent to which you almost have to make peace with the idea that they're going to get nine or 10 of them in a night. They're just so big and so good at it. It's, it's more about kind of Indiana making sure a, that it's only nine or 10 rather than, you know, 18 or 20, which is closer to what we saw in Ohio state, admittedly a game, Indiana won, And then B Indiana's also got to get, to a place where it is prepared to defend those second chances just as well as it defended kind of the first shot. Because again, I, I don't think, you know, I just don't see a world where Purdue doesn't get at least, you know, doesn't at least approach 10 offensive rebounds, maybe eclipse it. Well, yeah, that comes down to, you know, Mike Woodson talked today about kind of Khalil Ware's second and third efforts um, and, and sort of fighting through some of the malaise he had at Oregon where, you know, he kind of was checked out a little bit. Uh, he says that, you know, hasn't been the case and it's been kind of night and day. And so a lot of that will fall on him. Um, and, you know, what did he have, 14 rebounds uh, yesterday? I'm not sure how many doubles. Yeah, he had either. 14 against Minnesota. Against Minnesota, um, you know, kind of been their consistent double-double guy. Um, you know, defensively, block-wise, he had a couple that – were really impressive uh, against Minnesota, a couple in transition too. I mean, he's got he's kind of been the guy inside, um, and so he needs to stay out of foul trouble. Needs to kind of have that effort. Um, and uh, you know, for this Indiana team, frankly, I I, I think that good start you know, that they had against Minnesota that we kind of talked about is sort of their key that they play well when they start well. You know, it, it, maybe that's sort of easy analysis, but it's like. Uh, for this team, their psyche is important, I think, more so, you know, just because of the way they're, you know, they've got the three young guys in the starting lineup. Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway have sort of been up and down. When they start with confidence, it bodes well for them. And they've done that at home uh, more often than not. But uh, in, the, in a game like this, it's like right now, I just don't think they have the offensive consistency or firepower to be a team that plays from behind. 
And I think too, you know, this game more than most, um, both because of, of Purdue's strength and also just because of the rivalry, it's one where you want to get your crowd in early. You know, obviously Indiana's doing the whiteout. It'll be a sellout. You know, it'll be very full. It'll be very loud. Um, you know, it's it's a even though it's only like a Tuesday night game, obviously, you know, typically getting these sorts of games like in a Kansas setting where you get the whole you get a weekend and all that's bigger. But, you know, Purdue will will still be a sold out crowd. It'll still be really loud in there. You start well, you get your crowd into it. Um, and I think that's important. And I think the other piece of this, the, the, the last thing, and, and I don't I don't bring this up very often because I think people just do it. Is it a must win? Well, we're going to get there. We're going to, we're going to get to that point. Um, But the last thing about this matchup specifically, um, Indiana, I think like, I don't like talking about refereeing because it becomes a really easy thing for fans to sort of lean on good or bad. You know, everybody thinks that every, like everyone thinks every referee hates their school and all that kind of stuff. Oh, you know, Bo Borowski never gave us calls. Teddy Valentine never, you know, this and that. Um, I, I do think it will matter how this game is refereed because the free throw line is, even if Indiana you know, obviously struggles at times to hit free throws um, in the last couple games, you know, haven't been great. They were 16 of 27 against Minnesota, obviously sort of like infamously four of 15 at Rutgers. But the flip side is, you know, getting free throw, 15 free throw attempts in a low possession game on the road in the Big Ten is not something you you can happen very often. This if, is, it, if it's a called tight game, you think that favors Purdue or do you think that I favors- think it favors Indiana because I think Indiana needs to get to the free throw line and Purdue, again, statistically does not put teams there. You know, Purdue is 26th in the country in free throw rate, but they're 10th in the country in opponent free throw rate, which is basically means it's it's, it's a, I guess some people listening might know what this is. Free throw rate is your free throw attempt number, your total number of free throw attempts divided by your total number of field goal attempts. So how often are you getting to the free throw line as a percentage of your the total shots you're attempting? Um, Purdue gets to the free throw line really well, which is not surprising. They play big lineups. Obviously, Zach Eady gets fouled a ton. I mean, he's averaging 9.3 fouls per 40 minutes. But don't you think that, like, neutral? like, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's, like, key to their offensive output, but if it's called tight, don't you then assume that Malik or Khalil's in foul trouble and that would sort of negate getting to the line? I mean, Indiana, Purdue scores 20.4% of its points from the free throw line. Indiana scores 21.2. It's not a huge difference, but, like, the flip side to that is if it's called tight, then maybe Edie's on the bench or maybe Brayden Smith's on the bench. And I just – from, from an aesthetic like, standpoint, I really liked how that Ohio State game was called, right? That was the game that was – they were just letting them kind of wrestle. Yeah. More like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, like Dusty I, I mean, I, You know, that pick that Drew Galloway got where he just got Trey sent – that, that got, he, he got hit and sent into the yesterday – um, I, I thought, you know, would, would it would just look like a, it wasn't. And I was glad that it wasn't called. But, like, those are plays now that are just, like, automatically whistled. Like, you don't get any contact. And I like that they let them play. So, selfishly, I, I mean, like, maybe maybe it would be – I, I kind of see your point. Maybe it would be better if it's if it's a fairly loosely called game and you're not giving Purdue the opportunities at the free throw line. I just right. – I think it's – But, and selfishly, I like that basketball better than – Every time there's a contested anything, somebody's got to blow a whistle. Like there's three whistles. Like that game is; those games are miserable. 
And like, that's how college basketball is played more often than not. Well, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to say like exactly how it, I mean, it is obviously difficult to say exactly how it, it's a, it's a rivalry game, which means you probably tend to assume that, you know, like, like things would be tighter. On the other hand, last year, 35 fouls called in the game in Bloomington, um, a slightly higher number, 38 called in West Lafayette. Actually, Indiana had, Indiana's whole front court was in foul trouble in that game. But again, that was, I think, a little bit the way Indiana was defending Edie and, um, you're also not necessarily going to go to, uh, you know, West Lafayette and expect to get like a favorable whistle. That's just kind of how it goes. Um, I guess I see your point and I'm not like maybe I, maybe I shouldn't sit here and like declare this is what I think would be better for Indiana. I just do think in one for better or worse, I suspect that how this game is refereed may affect, you know, may affect the outcome. Yeah, no, and I agree. You have two teams, you have yeah. two teams that, um, use the free throw line as a pretty prominent part of their offense and two teams that frankly, and you know, again, these numbers are, are not quite so cut and dry in big 10 play. They are a little bit more for Purdue, but as you'd expect, both these numbers kind of regress toward the mean percentages wise. Um, If you get into big 10 play, but like I mentioned, Purdue's numbers just a minute ago, Indiana's even better getting to the free throw line. They're 16th in the country and they're, they're in they're 98. So they're inside the top 100 in opponent free throw rate, which means that they're not putting opponents in the free throw line a ton. Um, I just like, I think that to me, I guess it would make more sense because I just, I I really do believe Indiana's got a score. Let's say like, you know, 74 points or 74. There's some magic number somewhere in the seventies. I think Indiana's got a score to win this game, unless it is just one of those unholy, terrible shooting nights for everyone that happened every once in a while in college. Um, But I just think that Indiana's effort there is like, what's more likely to me is Indiana gets an extra 10 points from the free throw line than it does from like, you know, it gets an extra 12 points from the three point line. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I mean, I would think that's more likely, but I mean, to me, if it's called tight, also Indiana doesn't really have the depth right now to rely on its bench. And Purdue probably does. To to be able to counter, um, you know, the, the, the amount of falls like stacking up on a Malik Renew or Mackenzie and Baco, then you have to go to, you know, Anthony Walker, Caleb Banks, who Anthony Walker's probably been the best off the bench or most consistent. Caleb Banks has been up and down. CJ Gunn has been up lately, but, you know, it was a non-factor for, you know, almost three weeks. Um, and like we said, they haven't pay, played Peyton Sparks much. So I, I just think that that's a dangerous game to play. But one question I wanted to ask you, uh, this is not necessarily men's basketball related, but so made the trip out to Iowa uh, to go see uh, Indiana basketball play. Uh, Terry Moore was very disappointed with her team's performance, but I did get a chance to see Caitlin Clark in person. Um, and the Indiana played pretty good defense against Caitlin Clark. She had 30 points and 11 assists. Um, just a fantastic uh, transformational player. And I was curious, what's the best individual player that you've covered or seen in person during your sports writing career anything similar to caitlin clark for you that you've seen or because i'm not sure when your career started and kind of who you've seen but uh just just at a different level uh really you know and i know that's been talked about you know outside but when you when you see somebody in person it's different um you know she was hitting shots not from the men's three-point line but like from like mid-court almost and like i mean she's up there um you know i mean i was at the game in bloomington last year um, when yeah, I feel like Indiana was doing you know virtually everything right, and Indiana wins the game, but you know they're still chasing kind of shadows guarding Caitlin Clark. I'm trying to think like, you know, in the Big Ten, 
Um, on the men's side, you know, honestly, it's it's very recent and it's obviously very different. But like the whole Ed Jackson Davis dynamic last year was was something pretty remarkable. Where like, you know, Jacks like Edie would go for thirty five and fourteen, despite the fact that guys would literally be climbing up him while he was shooting. And then Jackson Davis would come back the next night and he'd have like twenty seven, but he'd have you know fifteen rebounds and six assists and five blocks. And it was just like, I, you know, I mean, like I, I cite this statistic a lot and it's it's a little bit out of the whatever. But do you know who Yogi Ferrell is? He was the point guard at Indiana when they won the Big Ten in 13 and 16. Trace Jackson Davis had a higher assist rate in Big Ten play alone last year than Yogi That's Ferrell funny. had in Big Ten play alone in 2016 when he was an All-American and led Indiana to, yeah. um, to, to the, the an outright Big Ten title. So, like, that was one of them. If again, if I'm just thinking like, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, it's easier to remember like what I've covered with Indiana because that's what's in front of me all day. Sure. The other one that kind of comes to mind, and I actually didn't cover this team because I'd been hired by the Star, but we had somebody else covering football for the 2014 football season. Um, when Tevin Coleman went for 2,000 yards and averaged something mm-hmm. like 7.8 yards per carry, and what was remarkable about that season was Nate Sudfeld, Indiana starting quarterback, got hurt halfway through the year, and his backup was a true freshman, Xander Diamond, who just wasn't physically you know, kind of ready for Big Ten football. So they ran the ball, not necessarily like exclusively, but like that was the only way almost any team knew that Indiana was going to hurt them. And Tevin Coleman was still ripping off like 180 yards a game. And, you know, he had a game where they lost by I think like 11 points at Ohio State. And he was playing on a broken toe or two broken toes or something like that and just outrunning, you know, first-round picks and all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, it's, you know, like it, it, basketball also, to be fair, lends itself to this at a level that, like, a lot of sports don't. The the ability for one player to just – and this is where I kind of make that – it's a, it's obviously different positionally, but that Edie Jackson-Davis comparison, that like just one player who so thoroughly controls, like, every aspect of the game that they're just – it's like they're, you know – they run the games. I think the soccer term is that, you know, they, they run the game from their position and that's the way Caitlin Clark obviously is. So. No, I mean, she was just fantastic. I, you know, and, and it would probably be sort of like a, you know, the LeBron James of women's basketball or whatever. I mean, just, and it's about, you know, with the women's game, she got to stay longer. I mean, you know, to be there for so many years and to do this at a, such a sustained rate, it's a little different, but yeah, just in terms of, um, impact and sort of dominating just sort of at a different level and um i don't know you don't see it you know know, it's just something you don't see every day and so i just came away just so impressed um not to take away you know because like indiana has (laughs) a really you know probably obviously it's top 15 teams got all american and and such a good basketball team and then you know caitlin clark you know terry said just just spectacularly just terrific just like just on that other level that you can't, you can't really do anything. And so I just, I found it, um, you know, seeing her just a very special player in terms of what, you know, how somebody's able to do that and have that skill was just, uh, like you said, it lends itself to basketball um, much more so than football. Um, you know, the individual game where I've seen, the, the only thing I can compare individually that Leonard Fournette, when he did to Auburn, uh, the game where he stomped on a guy and threw a guy. That was the only kind of individual performance I've seen. <laughs> where it was just like it's Superman had taken over. I'm sure you might know him game in Baton Rouge. Yeah. Where Ward the week before said it's not going to be that tough. 
And then he like literally was like carrying people on his back, like the Hulk, just throwing. Leonard Robinson had a game like that in Bloomington as well in 2010, right at kind of the peak of like his Heisman candidacy, where okay. uh, Ben Chapel set a record, like a program record for pass attempts in a single game. He threw for 400 and something yards, and Indiana lost 42 to 35. And it was just like everything Denard did was just just nuts. Yeah. Um, are you ready? We have like two minutes left. Are you ready for must win discussion? Oh, we're going, we got to go back to must win. All right, we so have to, we have to close with must win. So I did not say Minnesota was a must win. I said, Indiana needed to find a way to protect its home court. I didn't say Minnesota was a must win. I do sort of suspect this one is. <laughs> I'm comfortable. I'm, com- I'm, com- I'm more comfortable. This, is, in- this could be a new se- segment. Is this a must win at the end for you? And then you just <laughs> say the same. And, and you know, and like I'm the listen, I'm the person that preaches that like not every game can be some referendum on the state of the program. Like, and if Indiana wins this game, that doesn't mean that everything's solved and everything's fine and everyone just needs to shut up. But I mean, Indiana has one win right now. It's January 15th. They have one win against a likely NCAA tournament team. Their next three games after this are Wisconsin away, Illinois away, and Iowa at home. Iowa has been a tough matchup for Indiana with just kind of it's it's four out offense and the way Fran McCaffrey plays offense since Mike Woodson got to Bloomington like at some point Indiana's got to prove it can beat a team like this and I don't think Indiana can wait until Wisconsin on the 27 on February 27th and certainly can't wait until Michigan State on March 10th like at some point Indiana's got to prove it's capable of winning a game like this beating an opponent like this at very least doing this at home and starting to build some quality into its resume at home. I recognize it's a rivalry game. I recognize Purdue is probably the best team in the conference. This may be the toughest matchup Indiana's got, but I, I do think that like it's not necessarily a lose and the season's over, but I think it is a lose. And you start to wonder if Indiana's going to be able to, as you said earlier, win the so kinds of games. So it's, a must. Resume. so it's a must win. I, I would say it's a must win. So I'm not saying they will win. I just it feels the, like it feels like they, they need to find a way. Is this more of a must win than the previous two must wins? There were no previous must wins. You qualified it. You're like, it's not necessarily a must win, but it's kind of a must win. We're running out of time. Stop Stop wasting. <laughs> All right. It's a must win. Yeah. It's a must get off this podcast before the Zoom shuts down. He's Mike Nislick. I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Mind Your Banners for January 15th, 2024. We'll be back uh, later this week or early next week. Maybe just wait until next week. Uh, Because Indiana's got the week off. Until then, for the Herald Times, the Indianapolis Star, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.